This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to yet another episode of Breaking Pod. Breaking Pod, excuse me. Today we're going to be talking about season two, episode three, and Josh is joining me on the other line. Josh, how you doing? Zach, now I'm really curious what Breaking Bot is. Is that like a new podcast that we haven't <laughs> tapped into yet? You know, it's it's not, but uh, you know, people talk about the dad bod, right? The dad bod, yeah. And I was thinking they would be so cool to have like a fathering a fatherhood podcast and call it the dad pod. But uh, but oh, I'm not like the first that. person to come up with this idea. I looked at this ah, legitimately okay. just because it was like one of those times where like you have such a brilliant marketing idea, even if you don't really want to follow through with a product, you're like, well, I kind of have to if no one's taking this marketing idea, you know? Right. And I so I looked into check. exactly. So I definitely checked whether or not the dad pod was a thing, and it is sadly, or or maybe better. It's probably better that I'm not trying to do the dad pod. It's probably good that other people are doing that. But I do love the name. Yeah, but it's yeah, a breaking great name. breaking bod. I, I have no idea what breaking bod is. <laughs> maybe we'll have I'm glad that's not that this on, one on a future podcast. <laughs> All no, right, I'm doing so, well. I'm doing good. well, and uh, and I'm glad to be back. We've had a, a couple weeks off from this as we uh, attend to other things, but I'm glad to be back. And Zach, you are you are back on your official equipment. So to catch our listeners up, you you finally got all of your stuff. I did. It was quite a thing. And it, it actually, it all happened on Ju- July 3rd. So right before we were celebrating the holiday. The fortuitous part about that, though, was that my wife's in-laws were in town visiting us for all the holiday. And so they were able to help us with all of our un- unboxing, unpacking, unloading, and it was a it was a, an immense help to us because, you know, we don't even have that much stuff. At least I don't consider us having that much stuff. But whenever you're unpacking a family's worth of boxes, it's a lot of work. So it was great to have them around, and I was very grateful for the help. But yeah, now I'm I'm back on my full podcasting uh, accoutrement, my set of uh, my set of equipment, and excited to be back. Yeah, I can just see you, you know, as soon as the boxes came in, you you and the kids were rifling through to find your box of podcasting equipment. You got to get it ready to go. You said, everybody else, just pause for a moment. I got to get my studio set up and get back on the horn. You know, that's only slightly overstated. Uh, there was <laughs> there was the time where the movers had me sign off that everything was here. And I really don't care about most of the things that I own. I care about, obviously, like the, the stuff that costs a lot of money, right? technology yeah, or the sentimental stuff. stuff or the sentimental stuff um and then i care about my, my podcasting stuff so before i signed that i was like wait a minute i haven't seen this box help me find this box and so the so they helped me find the stuff with all the podcasting equipment and i was like okay good i can sign let's do this well hey when you invest in something you got to make sure it's all in one piece Ex- exactly i totally agree 100 percent um well, well zach good. i have to say i have to say i'm especially excited to be podcasting again about breaking bad because I mentioned this on the popped cast, the most recent one that came out, and I have got started getting into Better Call Saul, which is the prequel to Breaking Bad. We haven't met the character of Saul Goodman yet in in Breaking Bad. We are going to meet him later in season two of the show, but it's sort of rejuvenated my my interest in all of this. I was always interested, but now that I've started watching this prequel, you know, it's fun to watch some of the characters from Breaking Bad pop up in Better Call Saul, and it, it's fun to like watch that crossover happen. So I'm excited to get back into this, and, and we have a really fun episode to talk about. Yes, I totally agree. Thank you for that segue, Josh. That was great. I do want to pause here, though, and say I listened to your latest episode of the podcast today, 
And you and Maureen are not fans of Schitt's Creek. No, no, we're not. You well, guys okay, have to so give that have to give that another try because I, I, I totally agree that the characters are not likable, but that's definitely the point. And then there's a lot of character development that actually happens surprisingly for a sitcom in that show, and it's really funny. I know, I know. I I think that you know, as I mentioned on the podcast, I, I was told that I need to give it at least three episodes before I before I say I'm out on this. And and you know, we we, we would want to give. We would want our listeners to give at least three episodes of Breaking Bad. So I, I should give Schitt's Creek the benefit of the doubt and give them a couple more episodes before I say I'm officially out. Yeah, Breaking Bad, honestly, I tell people a whole season. Just give it a season and then watch the first episode of season two and then you can tell me if you're in or out because it's it's one of those shows that just takes so long to build. I think sitcoms are a little bit different because to me, the importance of watching two or three episodes of a sitcom to get a feel for it it's not really about whether or not you get a good sense of the story's arc, but really I think a lot of these shows, they're filmed in a pilot, right? And the pilot is like a proof of concept and they try to, the showrunner tries to get that approved by major networks to get picked up. And then between that and when the show actually runs, there's a lot of fine tuning that goes on. Sometimes the pilots are remade, sometimes they're not. And so there can be pretty significant differences between the pilot and what comes later. And so you have to kind of watch a couple just to get a feel for what the showrunner is doing and, and the direction the show's taking. No, I think you're definitely right. I think we talked about this when we talked about the breaking bad pilot, it's that they have to establish so much to, to hook the audience. Because if you think about a, a network show, you know, and something like Breaking Bad fits into this mold as well. They only have a certain amount of time to capture the attention or someone's not going to come back the next week. It's not as if they have the next episode right away. So I, I can see what you're saying about a pilot. You know, you, you have to cram a lot in. It's not always the most exciting or entertaining thing, but they're just trying to get so much information to the audience. So I think I could give Shit's Creek another chance. And and uh, I think Breaking Bad can certainly fall into that mold, that if you only watch the first episode, despite it being a really good episode, especially in retrospect, when you've watched the rest of the series, you know, you might have fallen off after that. So giving it another chance after that is important. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so as well. I have family members who still have not watched Breaking Bad because they can't get past the first few episodes. And I always say, guys, come on, you've got to just stick with it. Go, go a little bit further. Well, so, hopefully our, our work on Breaking Pod will convince them at some point. I'm really hoping so, and I hope that Vince Gilligan will see our work and decide to come on the pod, maybe maybe in advance of the Breaking Bad movie. So, Oh, absolutely. That would be great. All right. Well, today's episode is Season 2, Episode 3. It's called Bit by a Dead Bee, and the plan for today is to give our, our new two-minute summary. So rather than giving the in-depth summary, just give the two-minute summary, and then we'll talk about the best scene, the best writing best moment. And then of course, we've got our, our nits to pick at the very end, and then we'll do our MVP vote. So uh, Josh, I'm going to give the, the two minute summary and just let me know if, if I'm missing anything as I'm going through this. So we've left off the previous episode with Walt and Jesse getting into the fight with Tuco, shooting him once, hiding in the desert as Hank approaches in the desert. Hank and Tuco get into another shootout. Hank wins that shootout. Tuco dies. Walt and Jesse are watching from a meadow. Hank does not see them. And they end up getting out of there with no, with none of their blood spilled. So they flood the scene of the crime from Tuco's hideout. They watch the shootout. And now they're stuck with this problem in that they've disappeared together in the desert. And they need to find some plausible story to cover their tracks. 
and let the authorities and their families know where they've been and what they've been doing. So Walt comes up with the solution. He says, we're going to have me fake an episode of amnesia or hallucination. He does this by stripping off all of his clothes, no kidding, in the middle of a grocery store. And Jesse uh, decides to not go the amnesia route. He instead holds up with Wendy, uh, his friend who is a prostitute, and he pays her off to be his alibi. So Walt's discovered naked in this grocery store, taken to a hospital, obviously, because people think that he's having some sort of psychological event. His family's very relieved that he's okay, but the medical staff at the hospital are at a loss as to why this happened. They do all the diagnostics, all the tests. The best thing they can come up, they can come up with is an episode of uh, transient amnesia, which, by the way, is a real thing, Josh. Uh, my dad had transient amnesia, and it was a very bizarre, like, one-off thing. It's not a stroke. It has no, at least not necessarily, any, like, further prognosis for health. It's just a weird incident where you forget where you are or forget, you know, some sort of gap in your recent memory. It's very strange. So what was the, um, what was the gap that your dad experienced? I wasn't there. I, I heard about it um, from my family, but basically he was just like acting very strange at the table. And my brother figured out something was wrong, called 911 and they got into a hospital. And then he was just sort of like disoriented and sort of confused about where he was. But wow. then it passed because it was transient and he was totally fine. They did all the subsequent tests, had to rule out a stroke, all that stuff. And he was fine. But uh, but it is a real thing. Interesting. However, in, in Walt's case, not a real thing. <laughs> so he was totally yeah. faking the entire thing. Um, the hospital staff, like I said, the best thing they, the best thing they can do is say it was transient amnesia. Um, and they say, you know, Walt and and Skyler suggest that maybe it was a reaction to medications, etc. The doctors kind of poo poo that say it's possible, but doesn't seem likely we've never seen this before so they end up ordering a uh, psychiatric evaluation we'll talk about that shortly um and then meanwhile back to jesse jesse goes to his house clears out the basement makes sure that's all taken care of and then he has his friend badger call in an anonymous tip telling the dea where he is so he basically gives himself up to the dea he's in the hotel room with wendy when the dea busts down the door And they take Jesse into the DEA's office where they interrogate him. It's Hank and his friend Gomi or Steve Gomez sweating him out a little bit in the interrogation cell. Jesse is pretty ironclad, though. He says he doesn't know anything about any taco because they say Tuco. And he says, I don't know any taco. <laughs> and then uh, they also try to get Wendy to flip on him. She does not do so. They then, they then bring in Hector, Tuco's uncle. He's obviously mad at Jesse, but he refuses to give Jesse up. And in fact, goes so far as to intentionally soil his pants and uh, defecate on the floor of the interrogation room just because he hates cops. And as Gomez points out to Hank, it's not that he doesn't like, it's not that he likes Jesse. It's just, it's just that he's, I think he said he, he says he's old school gangbanger Mexicans. They'll never, they'll never turn their turn, uh, never talk to the cops, right? So that's why Hector doesn't turn in Jesse. And then Jesse and Walt talk on the phone. Walt tells Jesse he still wants to cook, and we'll play that scene for you as well. And then we see Walt lying in the hospital at night, thinking about how much cash he has on hand still, and then remembers that right before he was kidnapped by Tuco, he had stuffed $60,000 into a diaper box, and that diaper box is presumably still sitting in the nursery, relatively exposed there for Skylar or whoever to discover so he sneaks out of the, he gets dressed, sneaks out of the hospital, 
goes to his house, sneaks in through a window in the middle of the night, goes into his daughter's nursery so he can take the money out of the box, count it, make sure it's all there, put it in a vent duct, and then take a bus back to the hospital, go back to his room, and punch his own IV back in. When he's finally discharged from the hospital, um, he's back home. It's kind of tense between him and Skylar. Skylar challenges him on having a second cell phone because she says that right before he was abducted, she heard him take a call on a second cell phone. And Walt says, one thing I'm sure of is that I don't have a second cell phone. And then that's the last bit of dialogue that's spoken in the episode. And Walt and Skylar are in bed and Walt cuts out the light. And that is a wrap on Bit by a Dead Bee. So Josh, any thoughts on stuff I left out in the summary? Yeah, I think the only thing to point out is that the reason that Jesse is in especially hot water is is because it was his car that was left at the crime scene with Tuco. And so, you know, that's what the DEA is going to be looking into. Walt and Jesse seem to figure out that if they don't do something, then then Jesse is going to be in trouble because his car was the one left at the scene. We should also point out that Jesse has lost all of his money at this point because you might remember back before when he was trying to run from Tuco initially, he stuffed all of his cash in a bag, he left it in his car, and then, you know, Hank and and uh, and Steve Gomez, uh, Gomi Gomez, they're they're gonna um, use it for I don't know what they said, something like gambling with the with the precinct or something like that. But yeah, they basically well, they also said took that all the, of uh, <laughs> They said that the the uh, precinct needs new softball uniforms. Oh yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. There you go. So they're gonna they're gonna spend his money. Uh, Jesse says it's not my money. I swear. I you know I don't know where that came from. Another great Jesse scene. Those are the only two things that um, that I think you left out there. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. And I should have mentioned too, or, or, or reminded listeners that it was only because of Jesse's car's low jack system that Hank was able to find the car and thus Tuco. So that's how the DA got involved in this whole whole mess in the first place um on the point about that scene with jesse i wish we had the time to play the whole thing josh because i love that that point at which hank says we found your car and jesse obviously is playing stupid and it's pretending so like good. he doesn't know where his car is so he's like you found my car you found my car dea all the way <laughs> yeah 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 he really does a pretty good job there i think so too yeah uh, maybe like slightly overplayed just a little bit but it's hard to know. I mean, if you're if you're Hank and you just think this guy is a, you know, low level meth slinger, you know, junkie, it's it's pretty believable, I think. Yeah, I totally think so. Okay, well let's let's go on to the best scene, best writing, and best moment, Josh. I'll start things off with the best scene. So, uh, in keeping with this interrogation that we were just talking about, I think the best scene is when Hank brings in Hector to the interrogation room and Jesse's just sweating it out because this, I think, is a is a pretty critical linchpin in the whole plan we're confident i think that walt's going to hold up his end of the plan and maintain his fugue state allegation um we're not so confident that jesse can sweat it out with hank schrader who's i think a pretty darn good interrogator from the stuff that we've seen nor are we confident that wendy who they've paid to back up jesse and be his alibi will also not crack under pressure so i think as far as the the sort of stress points or the tension points for this episode, it's this interrogation. And that's why I think this this scene is really good. On top of that, the dialogue is great. We've talked before about Hank Schrader and, and how how good he is in these uh, in these dialogue moments, especially when he's dealing with a criminal. I think the videography makes really good use of the silence. And um, we end, when they bring in Hector, we end in such an unexpected way. 
Um, and I have to play uh, just a portion of the scene where they bring in Hector and just to remind the listeners uh, who saw the episode a while ago or maybe talk about it to listeners who haven't seen it before, Hector is in a wheelchair and he's unable to speak. And his only means of communicating, because he also has very limited motor movement, his only means of communicating are ringing a little bell with his index finger. So that's that's the only way that he can answer questions, which means he can basically answer yes or no questions. But this is what happens. So Jesse's sitting there. He's pretty confident he's not going to crack. And then they bring in Hector, who obviously is the one person besides Walt who can place Jesse at the scene of Tuco's house where Tuco and Hank were in the shootout. And they start asking Hector questions. Jesse doesn't like this because he says Hector's not up to the task. And this is what happens. That means yes. Yes is a bell. No is no bell. Oh, come on. This is bullshit. I mean, look at this dude, all right? He doesn't even know what planet he's living on. Senor. Are we on the planet Mars? Are we on the planet Saturn? Are we on the planet Earth? So I like that just very small clip there. That goes on a little bit longer, and and uh, Gomi further demonstrates that Hector knows the day of the week, and so they are able to pretty well establish that Hector does at least know where he is and what day it is and all of that stuff, which hurts Jesse's case about whether or not uh, Hector can place him there. But then they go on to ask Hector if Jesse was there. Hector refuses to to rat out Jesse to the cops because he hates the cops, and then he proceeds to defecate in his wheelchair. But I chose this scene, A, because it's the, the high tension point, I think, in the episode, and B, you heard in that little clip there, there's a lot of silence that is in this in this scene, and I think the uh, the way Gilligan and the director of this episode uh, do this, I think the director is Terry McDonough. Um, the, the way they make use of that silence to build up the tension is really, really good. And also, Aaron Paul's acting in the scene, I think, is really, really good because he I was gonna he, say he has a challenging thing. role. Yeah, he has a challenging role because he's um, he's a a druggy, junky, low level meth dealer in the show. Like that's his actual character. But B, he knows a lot more than he can let on to the cops. And then C, he needs to show the cops that he is a lower level druggy than he even actually is if that makes sense so it's like it's you know he has to he has to be able to play a guy who probably wouldn't be a good actor being a good actor in front of the cops because the stakes are so high and i think he does it he does it uh flawlessly and it's very impressive yeah yes he, he definitely has to play this on a couple different levels and he ultimately is successful but i you know you can you can tell by the look on his face he did not expect Hector to be wheeled in here like like right. the look on his face he's like uh what I did not expect this guy to come in but but I think this is just a real miscalculation on on Hank's part because Hector is clearly not going to work with the DEA I mean based on you know his family and and everything we know about Tuco like why would he want to you know, waste his his knowledge on someone like Jesse. It's not like they're bringing down someone and he's being guaranteed like, you know, superior care or something like that. It's basically like we're going to bring you in and take advantage of you because you're disabled and you're going to give us the information and then we're going to throw you to the wayside. 
I just feel like it's a big miscalculation on on Hank's part. And I could just imagine this this conversation where where they're like, oh, you know, I don't know, we can't get Wendy to crack. All she wants is a root beer. Like, I don't know what to do. And and then Hank's like, I got an idea. And Gomez is like, okay, wh- what is it? What is it? And Hank's like, I've got a ringer. I've got a ringer. And and Gomez is like, tell me more. Tell, I'm so excited for this. And he's like, I got this guy. And and Gomez is like, yeah, tell me, tell me who is it. And and Hank's like. It's this guy. He's in a wheelchair. Okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm still with you. He, he can't talk. Uh, uh, okay. He uses a bell, and, and he can't move. Think like Stephen Hawking in a wheelchair, <laughs> and he uses a bell. And he doesn't even have one of those voice things. And Gomez is like, uh, "Are you sure this is a good idea?" But oh, then, and he's also connected. The... He's also yeah, connected exactly. to to Tuco, and he's like, uh, "This is a terrible idea." <laughs> That's the kicker. That's the kicker. He's connected to Tuco, so he's like old school cartel family. And that's who you're going to bring in to try to rat out a drug runner. You can just imagine that if that if Gomez was it was higher up than Hank, he would have shut that down immediately. He would have been like, "We just got to kick Jesse to the curb. We don't have anything on him. We're not bringing in this guy, you know, to rat him out. Who's not gonna Who's not gonna work for us?" But but because Hank is is, I think they're peers, but but Hank clearly has the upper hand in in their relationship. He was able to sort of bowl over uh, Gomez and and say like, "We're going to try this." Yeah, I think that's spot on. And if I recall in the episode when it doesn't work out and Hector uh, defecates all over the floor, Gomi basically says, I told you so. This wasn't going to this wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, And so I think this does bring up an interesting point. We've talked before about Hank's capabilities as an investigative officer, and it seems like he does sometimes have a propensity to make things a little bit personal and take things a little bit too far or not think all the way through a certain course of action just because it's it's what's in front of him and he thinks it's the best way to get the job done but it's interesting because when he first had this interest in jesse and jesse's car it wasn't ever about jesse he was just trying to find walt and so he was actually when he got into that shootout with tuco he was not on department time he was he was taking time off from the tuco manhunt to try to find walt and we see a brief episode, a brief scene in this episode where he's talking to basically the internal affairs division about the shooting. They're making sure that the shooting is all above board. But he wasn't on department time, uh, which is probably why he's getting a little bit of extra scrutiny on the shooting itself. But also maybe is a testament to his um, his his tendency towards a little bit of rashness when he's in these situations, and he's going after Jesse in what looks like a pretty personal way even though he doesn't really have a dog in the fight. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Should I move on to my best scene? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so the scene that I picked as my best scene here is is more of a character-building scene, but after Jesse gets free from the DEA, after he's released, he gives Walt a call from a payphone, and he basically is filling him in on, on what happened, that, that his end of the deal is complete, and he seems to have gotten away unscathed so we'll hear a little bit of that conversation here we edited it just a little bit because the scene is kind of long but you get the general idea of the tension that is building between jesse and walt payphone payphone middle of nowhere nobody followed what about the basement it's clean the rv badger's cousin took it to his garage it's it's safe can he get it running again why? So we can cook. So you still want to cook? Seriously. What's changed, Jesse? 
Okay, so the reason that I like this scene so much is because if you think about the plan that that Walt and and Jesse have put into place here, you know, Walt's side of the plan doesn't really put him in danger at all. You know, for the most part, he just has to go to the hospital. He can spin this lie about, I, I don't remember anything. And he has his family there saying, look, he has cancer, he, you know, he's sick, and 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 most likely he's going to get off scot-free. The, the hardest thing that he has to deal with is, you know, he doesn't want to extend his stay in the hospital. So the psychiatrist says, look, you might have to stay here while we evaluate you. And that's his biggest problem. But Jesse, on the other hand, is in serious trouble and and could be in serious danger with the DEA. And so as soon as he gets out and he feels like he has a breath of fresh air, you know, he calls Walt and Walt wants to get back immediately to cooking meth. And I just feel like this scene represents... Walt's total disregard for anybody but himself. I mean, we've we've seen this in episodes leading up to this moment, but this especially, you know, they've just gotten out of something and Walt's immediate thought is, how do I continue to do what I want to do? And you're going to do it with me. And he has no regard for anyone but himself. And it's as if his inclination to care about others is either gone or so far buried at this point that he can't he can't dig it out. Well, and what does Jesse call his call the stash of money that the DEA confiscated? Is it, it's like his rainy day fund or something like oh, that? Oh yeah, rainy day fund. Yeah, yeah. So he says that his rainy day fund is gone, and Walt says, "You're what?" And Jesse explains, "You know, I had sixty grand or whatever uh, tucked away that was just sort of insurance money if stuff went really south, and now it did, and now I'm totally broke and could barely afford this phone call, etc." And Walt doesn't care at all. It's pretty obvious. But Walt's reaction, not even in the moment, is later at night, he's sitting there thinking about his cash on hand, and he realizes, oh, it's in the diaper box, so no, I gotta go home. And so his, he goes home, but not to go grab half of that so that he can you know, bail his partner out. It's instead just to make sure it's all there, and he counts it all, makes sure none, none of it's missing, and, and stashes it away in a nice, safe place. So I totally agree with you that this is a big reveal for the selfishness of Walt. Not that it comes as a huge surprise to us, but it just again affirms this guy is out for himself. Well, it's another it's another note in the sad relationship between Jesse and Walt, where he's taking advantage of Jesse in the ways that are beneficial to him, and then in any other way he's disregarding him as a person and as a and as an as a fellow human. And that's the really sad part of their relationship. And we'll see that time and time again in future episodes. The only nitpick I have with what you just said there is that Walt hiding his money in a safe place? I don't really know. He puts it back in the <laughs> in the vent again, which is not the safest place. Although th- this time he does put duct tape down so it sticks there instead of blowing away through the rest of the venting system in his house. Yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I think one thing to point out that we didn't hear in that little clip of conversation is that part of what Walt's really worried about is that he's worried that his name might have gotten brought up by Jesse in his interrogation. And that's his that's his utmost concern. You know, did, did, did Hank mention my name at all? Which you would think that if Hank was suspicious of Walt at all, Walt wouldn't just be sitting in his, in his hospital room by himself in the middle of the night. So he probably already knows the answer to this, but the way that he delivers that is just so selfish. And again, you're right, it's not a surprise, but it's still disheartening when you look at their relationship as a whole. Yeah, should we go on to best moment, Josh? Or oh, I'm yeah, sorry, be- oh, best writing. Let's do best writing, yeah. Yeah, because I know we both have the same same one here, and I'll just set the stage. So, uh, you know, as Walt has faked this fugue state, 
he now finds himself in this difficult scenario where he has basically made himself a prisoner in the hospital because he had this fugue state, which the doctors tell him is a very serious event. And we're not going to assume the liability for your health by signing off a discharge. So we're going to keep you here until we know what the heck caused this. And that includes a psyche valve. And then he starts the psyche valve and the psychiatrist is like, this could take weeks. You know, it really depends on, on what kind of progress we make, but I can't in good conscience make a diagnosis or a recommendation until I feel like I know more about you and all this. So, so Walt has this decision to make, do I like ride this out and double down on the fugue state? And we'll just, you know, I'll just sit in the hospital here forever uh, wasting time, not being Heisenberg, not cooking meth, since that's what he wants to do, or do I level with this psychiatrist? And so we get this this fascinating conversation where he asks the uh, psychiatrist to detail the the rules concerning patient confidentiality, and then he tells the psychiatrist, satisfied that the psychiatrist is not going to spill the beans, uh, he doesn't say, "I'm a meth kingpin." Uh, that would probably be a bit too far and might might tempt the psychiatrist to break patient confidentiality. But instead, he uh, says that he faked the fugue state. And then when the psychiatrist asks why, he's got this really depressing, heartbreaking, appalling answer. Doctor, my wife is seven months pregnant with a baby we didn't intend. My 15-year-old son has cerebral palsy. I am an extremely overqualified high school chemistry teacher. When I can work, I make $43,700 per year. I have watched all of my colleagues and friends surpass me in every way imaginable, and within 18 months, I will be dead. And you ask why I ran? Super depressing, Josh. So let's count, let's count the things there that Walt is complaining about. He is maybe upset that he and Skyler are pregnant. I mean, he says a baby we didn't plan to have. It seems it might be a stretch to say that he's upset about it, but it's certainly on his list of why you'd run away, which is it's, it suggests that he's upset about it. So he's upset that they're pregnant. He mentions his son who has cerebral palsy, which to me suggests that he feels like his son is a burden and wishes that his son did not have cerebral palsy. And it's not about his son. It's about him. Like he wishes that his son didn't have that, this, this, that, uh, disorder because he's a burden to Walt. His job is painful to his ego because he's vastly overqualified for it. Oh, and his job uh, also vastly underpays him for the work that he does. Oh, and also he is going to be dead in 18 months, even though there's nothing that we've seen so far to suggest that doctors have given him that level of certainty, just that he has advanced lung cancer and it can be very serious, but also so far that He's responding well to treatment. So um, all of it's very negative, very pessimistic, and I think gives us, uh, even though he's lying to the psychiatrist about why he faked the fugue state, I think this dialogue here is actually very truthful and gives us a unique insight into what Walt's thinking and how dark his thinking has become. Yeah, the reason that I like this as, as a best writing of, of the episode is because of the way that it is a lie that wraps around a truth. So right. he is lying to the psychiatrist that he ran away. But but what he's saying in the middle of that is true. And I think it's almost cathartic for him to be able to say it out loud, despite how depressing it is. But he really needs to be able to tell someone 
that that all of these things are weighing on him, regardless of the fact that probably only one of them in the fact that he has lung cancer is something that he should really be upset about. Like the rest are just uh, circumstances that, you know, either he shouldn't be upset about or that he could change if he really tried. You know, the lung cancer is the one that you can say, all right, well, I could see why you you would be upset about that. But everything else, uh, it's really sad that he's upset about all of those things. Yeah, well, and to your point about how the lie is actually truthful, think about what he would say if he told the full truth to the psychiatrist. He would say, the truth is, I was stuck in a bad situation with a member of our cartel because I make very high-quality methamphetamine. But then he would add, because I'm trying to get enough money for my family to survive on and thrive far beyond my death which will happen in 18 months or so. That's what he would say if he was telling the quote truth, because that's what he has sort of publicly convinced himself to believe um, or outwardly convinced himself to believe. But I think what he says in the lie is actually much more truthful in that, as we've discussed before, it doesn't seem like he's really doing this for his family anymore at all. It seems like he's doing this for him. And so the truth is he's become a meth maker and he's become Heisenberg and he's he's adapted this alter ego precisely because he hates everything in his life that he lists here for the psychiatrist. So uh, it's it's interesting to me that if he were telling the truth, it would be less truthful than this yarn that he's spinning for the psychiatrist. Yeah. And and he likes the the alter ego of Heisenberg because it makes him forget about all of the other things like the other things don't exist when he is when he is Heisenberg. And one of the interesting things that uh, that I've heard before is that people who uh, who have affairs in their marriages, the, the primary reason they, they decide to do that is not because they are in love with someone else, but be, but it's because they don't like the person that they are. And so when they're with someone else, they, they feel like they're a completely different person. And I think that is how Walt feels here. When he is cooking meth, when he's when he's doing this criminal activity, he feels like he's someone else. He doesn't think about the the unplanned pregnancy. He doesn't think about his son or his job or his cancer. He can just be someone else who is powerful. And I think that that is why, you know, he he does everything that he does. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Should we go on to best moment? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, I know you and I have diverging picks on this one. So how about you go first? What's your best moment? Okay, so my best moment is a very small thing. It's it's nonverbal, so we can't hear any of the the dialogue here because there is none. But but I did notice it when I watched the episode, and so I thought it was a really telling moment. So when Walt is in the hospital room and he's with the psychiatrist for the first time, we see a picture very briefly. It's a painting on the wall of the hospital room. We see it twice in the episode. Again, the first time is pretty fleeting, and the picture. As far as we can see, it almost seems serene. It's like a, it's a picture uh, painting with like pastel colors. Uh, you can sort of see that there's a, a family on a on a lake or something like that, and it just seems very peaceful. And the first time that we see the the picture, it seems that Walt is looking at it almost longingly, like he wants to be in this situation, this peaceful situation with his family. But then we see the picture again at the end of the episode, and we we focus on it for a bit longer. And it's enough to really see what the painting is. And what it is, is a man rowing his boat away from his family. And at this point, 
Walt is looking at the picture almost as if he knows that he is the man in the boat. Like his, the actions that he's taken up to this point in his life are further pulling him from his family. Or if, if not that far, he knows that that's the direction he's headed, that he's sort of drifting away with no possibility of drifting back to the shore. So he's, he's leaving his family behind with all of his actions, but he doesn't seem upset about any of this. Like when you see him at the end of the episode, it's almost as if he's accepted this and that he just says, that's the, that's the, the way my life has gone. And that's where it is at this point. And I think what's most What's what's the the best part of this moment is that it just goes to show you the detail in the show as a whole. So, if this was planned, and and I guess we can say that it that it probably was because the I show so, is very yeah. thoughtful. That you know the director and the writer and Vince Gilligan all sat down with the production designer when they were doing the set dressing for the scene, and they said, "Look, we need to have a painting that sort of exhibits this because Walt is going to to focus on it, and we need it to send a certain message." I'm so glad you brought this up because I totally missed it. But uh, when I was reading through our, our show notes, I was like, oh, that's such a good point. So I think you're absolutely right. And what you said at the end there about how Walt seems to be at peace with it, you're right. I think that there does seem to be inexplicably a sort of serene self-satisfaction that Walt has through all of this. And he's able to put on the sad face with his family and he's able to hug Skylar and cry and say, I'm so sorry when she first sees him in the hospital. But none of it's real at all. What's real is his satisfaction when he realizes that all his money is there. Or what's real is his earnestness with asking Jesse when he's going to be ready to cook again, when he can get the RV back. That's what's real, I think. And that's what's very unsettling, watching Walt's transformation. But I think he is like that that man who's adrift in the boat. And I think the other thing that, that Walt likes as a parallel between himself and, and the man in the boat is that, you know, I think that he, as we just discussed, like he has a lot of things in his life that he's upset about or that he feels dissatisfied with. But I do think at his core, he wants his family to be safe. Like he's not he's not vindictive against them. And I think one of the parallels that he likes about looking at himself as the man in the boat rowing away is that the family on the shore looks safe. And I think that that's something he also hopes for. He doesn't necessarily want to be with them. He doesn't want to be, you know, with his disabled son or his pregnant wife or his his low paying job. But he doesn't want the people in his life to suffer. And so looking at the painting, he's sort of seeing the best of both worlds. He can go off on his own, do his own thing, become Heisenberg, and his family can stay on shore safe behind. Well, my best moment was nowhere near that artistic, but I think it does speak to the, a similar character trait in Walt. What I noticed was the the end of this where Hank comes to see Walt in the hospital as Walt is getting discharged. He brings the office gift for him in the aftermath of Tuco's shooting, and it's it's Tuco's acrylic grill that was in uh, in his mouth when Hank shot him. And it's now ensconced in this little plastic case, and Hank's very proud of it, so he's showing it off. Walter Jr. thinks it's really badass. And Walt has an interesting reaction where at first he looks unsettled, almost as if I'm the one who caused this violence. And you're kind of taken aback as a viewer because you think that's not really what Walt's like. But then as, as Hank continues to sort of blab on about it as Hank does, you get this, this little snippet of Walt's facial expression where it almost looks as if he's mad at Hank or jealous of Hank. 
And my mind went back to what you pointed out in the previous episode, Josh, where after uh, Walt shot Tuco the first time, he said, let him bleed and wanted to leave him in the ditch. And it's only because Hank came up that Hank got the credit for killing Tuco because Tuco would probably have bled to death if it weren't for, for Hank coming up and finishing him off with a bullet anyway. And so the impression I got from that moment that caught my eye is that Walt is thinking, no, I did that. That should be mine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He yours. wants the trophy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's and, what and I then, noticed as well. And the other thing that I wanted to, to say about that, the the uh, the grill in in the plastic casing is that I just had this sense that, you know, someone is going to find that one day and they're going to take the little DNA from that and they're going to recreate Tuco, you know, just like in Jurassic Park. So we're going to have so like true. a... We're gonna have a Jurassic Jurassic exactly. Park situation where we have Tuco running wild on an island. It's gonna be crazy. He would be king of the island in no time. That guy is oh, crazy. Yeah. Have you no seen him question. in Better Call Saul yet? If you go yeah, across yeah. Tuco, yeah, he's a, okay. he's in the very he's in the first episode I think of Better Call oh, Saul. Oh, is he? Okay. And the, he has a he has a bigger role in the second episode too. I, I'm sure he'll come back. But yes, yeah, he, it was he fun to see back. him. Fun to see him recur after being deceased on on Breaking Bad. Yeah, good actor. I mean, he's got to be a character actor. I haven't seen him in anything else other than that role, but he plays that role so perfectly. Yeah, and and it's especially interesting because there are some other uh, associates of his on Better Call Saul who do not quite have the gravitas that he has. And, yes. <laughs> and so you, it, it's especially exciting to see how good he is and, and makes me feel good about our MVP picks for him earlier in Breaking Pod. Absolutely. Well, speaking of picks, let's pick some nits here, Josh. So what did you notice about this episode? The the one thing that I noticed that I really thought was a little bit too far, uh, I think I understand what they're trying to convey here, but after Walt gets back from the hospital, he sticks his own IV back in. And if you've ever had an IV stuck into your arm, you know that it's it's a process that you have to like at least train for a little bit to find the vein and find the right spot. All Walt does is just punch it into his arm and like super deep, like he totally misses wherever, <laughs> wherever that AV is supposed to get. And so I'm just like, what, what are you trying to achieve here, man? Because you're not going to get effective, you know, uh, effective medicinal flow. You're not going to get effective hydration. You're just going to get them coming back in and asking you, did you jam this IV right back in? Like, why not just come back and pretend that your IV fell off while you were yeah, sleeping? Yeah, I thought the same then- thing. <laughs> just call the nurse. Yeah. But I think... I, I think what they were trying to show is, I don't know, like they, I think they wanted to show some blood maybe, maybe that he was, that it's a self-inflicted wound perhaps. I don't know. I think there was some artistic effort there that got a little bit lost because he did such a bad job poking himself. Yeah. Vince Gilligan was like, we're on AMC here. We can show a little blood. We haven't had a shootout (laughs) in this episode, so let's do something. (laughs) The only thing I can say is like, maybe if you wanted to say it was thematic in some way, you know, going back to when he, uh, when he was choking out, uh, crazy eight in the basement and he let himself get stabbed over and over it, maybe it's a form of self-flatula- self-flatulation just to sort of you know atone for some of the things that he's done but but that's that's a bit of a reach I think here it, it made it made more sense in in the season one but if right. I had to assign some sort of a, a thematic thing that's where I would go but again I think that's a little bit of a stretch yeah I think I would just go with a simpler this is a you know his whole situation in this episode is kind of a self-inflicted wound like he's he's a prisoner of his own making in the hospital and here he is inflicting a wound in himself with an iv needle but but a little bit too far i thought that was kind of an unnecessary uh, a reach yeah yeah no I, I like that i like that interpretation more okay so my my two nits to pick the first one is with regards to this whole plan so it's very elaborate 
like they were, were meant to believe that as they're wandering through the desert, dehydrated, no food, no water, that Walt comes up with this elaborate plan to fake amnesia. He has no phone to Google, you know, whether or not a fugue state is really a thing. You know, he's relying on his previous science knowledge to know that that's a thing. He's really relying a lot on Jesse here. I just feel like it's a little bit too cute when you think about like all the stuff that has to go right for this to work. I mean, it, it does work because, you know, it's a TV show, but but it's a little bit much. Yeah, it is. But I also think that we can't expect anything but really elaborate elaborate plans from Walt. At no, this that's point. fair. That's fair. Okay, so my second my second nit to pick is that there the scene where where Walt shows up in the middle of the night and you know he's hiding his money away. Uh, Skylar wakes up like she you know she's seven months pregnant. She she can't sleep, so she goes into the kitchen and she appears to be getting some sort of food. And, and there comes Walt Jr. Uh, in into the kitchen as well, and Skylar middle says, of the oh, night. Did I, "Yeah, middle of the night. Did I did I wake you up?" And he says, "No, I'm okay." And she says, "Well, do you want something to eat?" Okay, that's that seems perfectly reasonable. And then she offers him cornflakes. I mean, <laughs> I cannot think of a worse thing that I'd want to have is dry cornflakes in the middle of the night. Yeah, like any other cereal, any other food. You got a piece of chocolate? I'll take that. You got right. any other cereal? You, you put a little sugar on something. I mean, a glass of milk, some Oreo cookies. Really, I mean, I would even take some cheese in the middle of the night. But yeah, dry cornflakes, not really in the wheelhouse. I just thought it was funny. And and one of the things that we'll continue to see is that Walt Jr. is really into breakfast. And, and that's it becomes a running theme throughout the show. And so I think this is just a, a fun little nod to the fact that he just loves breakfast. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, I also love breakfast. And I love breakfast cereal. But I'm not a cornflakes in the middle of the night kind of guy. Me so. neither. Me neither. Okay, well, we already kind of talked about the broader thoughts and themes that I had in mind for this episode. So I think we can get right to the MVP vote here, Josh, and then wrap up the episode. Sounds good. All right, I will go first here and just say that my MVP for this episode is Jesse. I think that he had the most to do and he had the most difficult work to do. So I think Aaron Paul's role in this episode, he had to play a lot of different things. You already talked about the, the many different levels that he had to go through. And so I think that that. Uh, he deserves the MVP for this episode. How about you? I absolutely agree with you. So that that brings our Jesse total to five. He's now the leading MVP actor or character in our uh, in our podcast here. So the reasons I, that I will just add or the reason I will add is we didn't talk about this, but we see some extended sequences between Jesse and Badger. And I think he does a really good job there because in the Jesse-Badger dynamic, Jesse is the Heisenberg, and by that I mean Badger's the idiot sidekick who you know uh, who has to rely on Jesse for all of the ideas and all of the planning, and then Jesse has to rely on Badger for some of the execution. And so, for example, Jesse uh, or Badger's making some stupid comments when Jesse's trying to get them to clean up the basement. He has to adopt the role of Walt, normally in the Walt Jesse relationship, and say, "No, this is why we're doing it. You have to listen to me now." Um, don't ask questions. We don't have time to do this, etc. And similarly, later, you know, Walt asks Jesse, "Did you make the phone call exactly the way I said? You know, from a payphone, etc." Well, Badger calls the DEA to call in that anonymous tip on Jesse, and Jesse has to make sure, "Did you make the phone call exactly the way I told you, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And so, like, like you, Josh, I think he acts on several on several different lo- different levels here, and he just does such a good job. I think it's really a flawless acting performance by Aaron Paul. So, I give it to Jesse as well. 
Yeah, and the and the one thing I forgot to mention before, but you just reminded me of, he has another real moment. It's very it's very short in the in the episode, but it was almost my it was very nearly my my pick for best scene because it's so important. But he has a phone call that we only hear his side of, where he calls his dad and he asks his dad to oh, come right. pick yeah. him up after he gets released by the DEA. And that's right. You see the scene from far away. It's shot in a way that you see a really wide shot. But just the the emotion that he puts into this, where he's really vulnerable and calling his dad for help, and we hear non-verbally, we, we just see his reaction that his dad is not going to come and pick him up, and he's just hurt by this. And it's just a really tender, small moment, but it's another level that he has to play in this episode. I'm so glad you brought that up as well. Yeah, that was, that was a powerful scene. It was small, like you said, and I think it was forgettable because it was sort of shot in that wide angle you know so there aren't a lot of like facial expressions that you can use to sort of pair up the memory with the sound but it was a pretty heartbreaking phone call especially the way they made it one-sided like that it was was sad yeah well that's all i have for this episode do you have anything else no that's it let's wrap it up here we'll be back again soon but thank you so much for listening to breaking pod we're enjoying this and hope you are too if you think we missed anything or you want to give any feedback, feel free to reach out to Josh and I at breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. And in the meantime, while you're waiting for the next Breaking Pod episode to come out, check out any of the other shows on the Vernacular Podcast Network. Just go to vernacularpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. <laughs>